Good morning and welcome to Central Baptist Church here in Livingston, Texas. 
I am so excited that y'all have all chosen to worship together here with us this morning. My name is Austin. I have the pleasure and the privilege of leading worship each week here, and I'm excited to be able to do so again here this morning. If you're a guest with us, I want to call your attention to the connection cards in the seat backs in front of you. There's some pens and also those cards that you can use to fill out just so we can get some basic information from you. Um, We'd love to have those so we can connect with you further throughout the week. You can use those same cards, both members and guests, for prayer requests. Uh, You can write them on those, and then our staff will collect them and uh, either be in contact with you if you need or just pray for you throughout the week uh, for anything that you need. Both those and uh, offering envelopes, if you came prepared to give this morning, can be dropped off at the spots near the exits all throughout the worship center. Uh, Again, I want to say thank you so much for being here this morning. It's going to be a great time of worship as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word as we continue in our uh, study of Philippians. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we continue in worship. God, we praise you for this morning. God, we thank you for the freedom that we have that you paid for at the cross. God, your love is truly just beyond our understanding. It's beyond comprehension and explanation, Lord. And we thank you for that, God. So when we sing to you about it, we are so so thankful for it. Um, Lord, we know that you are uh, faithful to continue and to finish the good work of salvation that you began in us. So, Lord, I pray that as, uh, as we sing to you this morning, that our hearts would be focused on you. God, that we wouldn't allow distraction to come in. God, that you'd be glorified in all things. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, and everything around me is shaking. Well, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down.
have a seat. Amen. Well, we're going to pray this morning as we lead into our time together with the Lord. And so if you want to come forward, you can pray with me here at the front. Um, but as you're coming forward, I want to do something. I want to ask you to do something for us this morning. If you're here today and there is someone that is just burdened, that you have a burden for in your heart that has a health need, uh, maybe they have cancer, maybe they have a particular issue in, in, in their lives specifically right now, and they're suffering. If you're have the courage to do it. I just want you to stand. And then the people around you, I want you to remember that individual that might be in that person's life. Maybe it's you this morning that need prayer. But if you have the courage just to stand up on behalf of that person, maybe you've been praying for that person. And we're just going to have a word of prayer for the people in our lives that, that, uh, that are suffering right now physically. So feel free to stand up. We're going to have a word of prayer in a moment. Um, I want to remind us, you know, as we just sang that song, you know, there was a great sermon that, that Jesus preached, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right? And um, we just sang a song about a firm foundation. And, you know, at the very end of that sermon, Jesus has his disciples around him. He has hundreds, if not thousands of people on the mountainside that day. And at the end of that sermon, this is what it says. Jesus says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does, does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat at, on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds, built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. The importance of the word of God in our life, it matters what we learn, what God shows us, but it matters what we do with it. And that is what God wants, what Jesus wanted that day, his disciples to understand, the thousands of people that day to understand. And it is what God wants us to understand here this morning. And so I don't know where, where you are. If you're brand new with us this morning or you've been coming to our church for many, many years, I want you to know that and understand that, that what matters is not what Jesus tells us, but what we do with those words. And that is what Jesus was teaching them. And so it is good to sing great songs and worship him. Let's be obedient and have a posture of obedience in our hearts as we carry those words into our everyday life. Why don't you pray with me and let's pray for one another and these particular health needs this morning. God, we do thank you this morning that you are a God who sees us and you know us. Uh, Lord, you're a God who understands us. You understand our suffering. You understand our victories. You understand what we need even before we ask it and ask for it. You are a God who sees into our life in such a way that, Lord, when we ask you for things, sometimes the things we ask you for are the things that sometimes we don't need. Maybe we need something that we're not asking you for. You meet the needs of your people because you love us and you love your people so deeply. We're here this morning not, Lord, as a group of people that have some sort of false hope in you. We're a people here this morning, God, who love you. We're a people here this morning that care deeply about your word. We care deeply about your mission. We care deeply about each other because you have poured your love out in our hearts and now we love each other. And God, we thank you for that supernatural power, that supernatural work that you do in our lives. Cannot be manufactured. This isn't a club, Lord. We understand that the local church in our life is everything. You care for us and we care for one another. You hold us accountable, and we hold each other accountable. 
God, we thank you this morning that there is power in prayer. There is power when collectively, God, we come together and we pray to the same God in the same way and the same things towards you. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe that, God, you can move mountains in our lives because, Lord, you have moved a mountain in our own everyday life, Lord, by giving us forgiveness and redemption and restored our hearts. God, we look at our lives and we see brokenness. We see the things that we've done in our life, Lord, that have offended you. The things we've said, the things that we've thought about, the places that we've gone, the things that we've omitted from our life. And yet, Lord, you, through your sovereignty, stepped down into this world, Lord Jesus, and you saved us from the cross and from the grave. We give you praise this morning as we sing to you, as we pray to you, as we talk to you about matters that are important to you, but also matters that are important to us. God, we're sinners, and so we confess and we repent of our sin this morning because, Lord, we want to have a posture of obedience. And in order to have a posture of obedience, we got to get rid of the things in our life, Lord, that are offending you. So raise to the surface of our minds, Lord, the things that have offended you, things that we've done, said, things that we've omitted from our lives, and we want to give those to you now. Would you tear down the strongholds in our life? And would you build up in us the kind of uh, character, the quality that you want our lives to look like? Lord, to be like our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, Father. We come to you, Lord, this morning because, Lord, these people that we have mentioned to you for many, many weeks and months and even years, Lord, matter to us. And as we think about people in our congregation, as we think about people outside of our congregation that are suffering right now, God, we know that you're a, a God who is a great healer. You're the great physician, your word says. We believe that you can touch and you can heal. You can do things that are supernatural and we believe that you can. So Lord, would you intervene in the lives of those that are suffering? They mean so much to us, Lord. People in our congregation, it hurts us to see them suffer. We understand that, Lord, that suffering that we experience in this world is a part of our brokenness. Genesis 3, when all of creation was broken, we know this, we understand this, and yet, Lord, at the same time, Lord, it, 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 it hurts us, Lord, to see people suffering. It hurts to see people even in this room suffering, even this morning. We're praying, God, that you would intervene, that you would bring about breakthrough, that you would, Lord, break down these physical strongholds in their lives. And at the same time, in a parallel prayer, Lord, we pray that you would gain the glory even in their suffering. That somehow, some way, that Lord, even in suffering, Lord, we know none of it is wasted. That Lord, you, Lord Jesus, would be lifted up in hospital rooms, in doctor's offices, in homes, among lost friends and family members, Lord, that they would look to those who are suffering who means so much to us, and they would see them worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. And they would, Lord, then in turn look to you, because God, we want you to gain the glory even out of the brokenness of this world. Lord, we love these people, and so God, if you're not going to take away things from their life, then would you help them to suffer in such a way to bring glory and honor to you? We're just praying that, God, because we want your will to be done. We want you to gain the glory out of it all. 
Lord, we pray for this time together that we have in your word that you would, Lord, soften our hearts as a church to the things that you want us to understand and know about. We pray that you'd soften our hearts that we would hear from you and understand, God, how to become the church you want us to become. So, Lord, would you open our hearts to your word? Before we close today, would you just pray for me? Just ask God to anoint me and that I would say the things that God wants me to say and teach us the way he wants us to, the things that he wants us to understand. So, Lord, thank you for the gift of prayer. We know, Lord, we do not pray and words do not fall on deaf ears. We know that you hear us this morning. Thank you so much for this service. We pray your blessing on the rest of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. You can be returned to your seat. And good morning. It's so good to be here with you again this morning. Um, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us for worship this morning. Those of you who are new, we're grateful that you're here today. And uh, if I don't get a chance to meet you, I hope to meet you someday. Um, but if you're here and you're part of our church family, welcome back. Welcome back to the family gathering. We call each week on Sunday mornings. And uh, it's good to be with you. Hey, listen, the last few days, my wife and I have been out in Virginia, believe it or not. We have been visiting one of our son and our daughter-in-law. They are preparing to go overseas to do incredible work, gospel work, as uh, many of you know about. Um, they were commissioned three days ago or two days ago, three days ago now. I can't remember. My days are running together. Uh, three days ago, along with over 140 other people in a room. And I got to tell you, it reminded me why we are Southern Baptist. Because sitting in that room and listening and watching these people talk about going to places all around the world, families with children, couples, single adults, young individuals, even some that were a couple senior adults who were there, and they are going to serve uh, and do gospel work around the world in some places that are very, very hard. Probably a third of those people are headed to South Asia, um, a very clo among, among closed countries that are there, where the gospel of Jesus Christ is not prevalent. Very few people have heard the name of Jesus Christ, have believed in Jesus Christ, and I got to tell you, it was, it was an encouraging thing, and... and um, then, of course, to see our kids to be a part of that. Um, that's a humbling thing and an exciting thing at the same time. And they'll be shipping out in a few days, um, but uh, they're going to be back with us here in a few days here before they leave. So you'll get a chance to see them just one last time before they leave and before they leave us for a couple years. Um, but we're excited for them. Um, this morning, I want to encourage you to take a Bible if you have one. If you don't have one, take it from the seat back in front of you and turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to look at uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We introduced it last week, um, and we looked at what God's Word said to us throughout the entire book. This morning, we're going to begin looking at what God says to us in these first few verses. In particular, we're going to look this morning at Philippians chapter 1 in verses 1 through 11. We talked about last week the idea of joy. There is a joy in gospel unity. There is joy in gospel living. You know, when we live our lives worthy of the gospel, when we live our lives worthy of what Jesus Christ and how he wants us to live our lives, it's going to lead to unity. There's going to be a continuous joy in life. This is what God promises you and I. When we pursue him and when we make uh, gospel living, uh, an important part of our life, central to our life, 
then there is this joy that exists in our life. There is this unity that exists among us as a congregation. There is also the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the lives of others. When you read the book of Philippians, and I hope you have, and I hope you will on a regular basis, it's only four simple chapters, there is incredible richness to this book. There is so much to mine out of this book that is applicable to us in our day and age to understand what God has to say and what he wants to say to us in our life. It is a powerful book. But what we understand and get is that there is this joy when we pursue his gospel. And, and, and Jesus Christ didn't just, just go to the cross and, and rise from the dead in order to get us across the finish line. The gospel doesn't just get us into heaven. The gospel changes us. It's transforming us. It continues to do this work. And we see this in the life of the Philippian church. God does a work in our life every day. There is incredible work that Jesus Christ does in our life every day through this good news of himself in Jesus Christ. I want you to look with me at, the, at your Bibles. And you're going to need your Bibles because we're going to walk through these verses, these first few verses here this morning. Um, but I'm going to read our text for us beginning in verse 1. And we're going to look down through verse 11. This is what it says. Paul and Timothy, verse 1, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints of Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is how he starts his letter. Watch this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you, all are, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. There is so much in there. In fact, there are three sermons in that one passage. I'm going to give you one. You with me? I won't have you here until two o'clock this afternoon. I promise you. But here's the thing. If, if, if Paul's letter to the Philippians was anything, it was personal. This is a personal letter to this church. He loved these people. Many of them he already knew because he had led them to the Lord. Remember Lydia? Remember the Philippian jailer? Remember, as we looked at last week, we're going to come across these names again. Uh, there are these individuals, the young girl who uh, the demon is exercised from her, and this young girl now becomes part of the local church. There are people that Paul knew, but there are also people, as he's writing back to this letter, that he does not know. These are people that have embraced the gospel of Jesus, maybe through Lydia's testimony, maybe through the Philippian jailer or his kids as they're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And those people begin to give their, to give their life to Jesus Christ and they come out of a pagan lifestyle or they come out of that Roman lifestyle and they come out of, 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 of just pagan living and they embrace Jesus Christ. Paul was encouraged. Paul was joyful about this church and what God did in this church and what God was doing in this church. See that in Paul's greeting. I mean, the first two verses of this passage, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the what? Saints of Christ Jesus, the overseers, the pastors of that church, the deacons of that church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He genuinely cared about this church. He loved these people. 
He's not writing this letter, by the way, in a park somewhere. He's not held up in a little writing shack with a little candle and light. He, you know, he's writing the letter to the Philippians. No, what most people believe is that Paul is in prison. He's under house arrest in Rome. It's a man who's imprisoned in Rome later than when he was there in Acts chapter 15 and 16 when he plants this church in Philippi and then he leaves and he goes about doing his work. He's under house arrest. Paul's most likely in prison, and as he's writing to them, and I want you to remember this when we're walking through the book of Philippians, when he talks about rejoicing, and he talks about joy, because here is a man who is in prison, here is a man who is locked up, and he is writing to this church about important matters related to joy, gospel, and what it means to live in light of the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul isn't writing to a group of individuals. He didn't see them that way. It wasn't a group of people that maybe he really, really liked, and then there were these individuals that popped in and out. He's writing to a group of people that had committed themselves together to be a part of this church, the church in Philippi. He sees them not as individuals, he sees them as a people. He sees them, he has this deep connection to this people. In fact, in in these first 11 verses, there is a lot of plural language. Ten times he's going to use the word like our and us, and he's going to say you in the plural sense. He doesn't see them as a group of individuals sitting in in a room like this, wearing different clothes, different generations, coming out of different backgrounds, and they're just a group of individuals independently here together in the church. He saw them as a people. They are the bride of Christ that God had formulated, God had put together in an incredible way because they had embraced the good news of Jesus Christ out of all kinds of backgrounds. God had done this incredible work and was continuing to do this incredible work. He saw them not as individuals, he saw them as a people. As Paul writes to this church, he begins with this deep gratitude and this hopeful prayer. Did you notice it's a prayer? Did you notice it was a, it was a words of gratitude, of thanksgiving, but he's also praying for them? Why? Because he remembered what they had done, what God had done in them, and he thought of the gospel impact that it had upon this church, the gospel impact that it had had on these individuals. When he got alone with his heavenly father and he got on his knees and he sat there and he looked and stared at a wall or he stared at something on the floor and he began to think about these people and he saw their faces and he thought about their, 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 the risks that they had taken by this person giving their life to Jesus Christ where their entire family were pagan and would be very very antagonistic towards that individual, when he thought about the courage that it took to follow Jesus Christ in a very pagan culture, in a very cult, in a very culture that was going against Jesus Christ, against what God's word said, it brought joy and gratitude to his heart. And God was at work in these people, was working among these people. But the thing about it was it was also continuing. You see, God has a word here in these first few verses for the Philippians. God has a word for us. And here it is. What God starts, he will always finish. What God always starts, he will consistently work it out in your life. He's doing this in the church in Philippi, and Paul knows he's doing this in the church of Philippi. You can be sure, listen to me, you can be sure that the gospel is at work in your life. You can be certain. You can know without a doubt that Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, is working in your life. Listen to me. The gospel doesn't just rescue you out of sin and hell. 
what God does is that moment in which you turn from your sins, you turn, you believe in Jesus Christ, and you embrace him as your Savior and your Lord, God begins to remake your life, right? He redeems your life. He then begins to remake your life. He reshapes your life. He restores your life, and he turns you consistently day after day towards himself. You begin to take steps of obedience. You begin to take steps of faith. You begin to follow the simple words of Christ in his word. You begin to follow the simple words of what you come across in the Bible. And when you begin to take those steps of obedience, as Jesus was saying there in Matthew chapter 7, right? Build your house on what? The firm foundation on the rock. When you begin to do those things and you begin to take those intentional steps, here's what God does. He rescues you out of that. He's redeeming you. He's remaking your life. But then he turns you around so that you can go and rescue others. That's what God does. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is not something that we just receive. It is something that is changing us, molding us, it's shaping us, and then we in turn take it and share it with others. That's the good news of Christ. And he rescues us in order that we in turn would then begin to go and rescue the works, rescue other people. This is the work of God that he does inside of us. Here's the question. How can you know, how can you be certain that the gospel is at work in your life? Well, I think what Paul is saying here, and we're going to see this here this morning, that there is this idea of fellowship that's going to bubble up to the surface of our lives and among our congregation. There's going to be an affection that is going to bubble up, and it's going to be very evident among us as individuals, but also as a congregation. There is going to be this love that we're going to see bubble up, and it's going to, it's going to permeate our entire congregation. When the gospel is at work, when the gospel is at work in, in us as individuals and all of us collectively, we're going to see this work that whatever God starts, he's going to finish. And I want to encourage you with that word this morning because this is what Paul is, being, is encouraging the Philippians to understand the gospel did its work and it's doing its work. The gospel does its work, but it continues to do its work. You can be sure the gospel's at work in you, in you when, listen, first and foremost, that there is this fellowship, this fellowship that exists when it comes to and in through gospel ministry or through gospel work. There is a fellowship that exists among each other and within each other when it comes to and in the context of gospel ministry among gospel work. Look at verse 3 again with me. I mean, when God, I mean, when Paul prayed, he was thankful, he was grateful. He had joy in his heart. Why? Because look, look at verse 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Why was he so overjoyed? Well, verse 5 tells us. Look at verse 5. Because of your what? Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. First day until now. When Paul thought about this church, there was a fellowship, if you will, of the gospel. That's what that word partnership means. It's actually a Greek word, koinonia. We see it in multiple places throughout the New Testament. It's the idea of partnership. It's the idea of fellowship. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But when he thought about this church, he thought of a church that that did not develop over time, that partnership in the gospel. It was there from the very beginning. Do you see that in verse 5? It was right there from the very beginning. They entered into a partnership with him. They entered into this fellowship with him. Well, how was that specifically carried out? Well, it certainly was carried out financially. I mean, over in chapter 4, in verse 15 and 16, Paul is going to say this to the church, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. 
verse 14. And you Philippians yourselves know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership, fellowship with me in giving and receiving except you only. They, from the very beginning, funded his work. They, from the very beginning, funded the work that he was doing, but also they prayed. They were committed to praying. They were committed to praying for Paul as he went and as he worked in the the places that he went. They were in this involvement of this fellowship or this partnership in the gospel with them. Paul knew something that was deeper among the Philippians. So come back to the text with me again in verse 6. Because this is what Paul says. Even though they had entered into this partnership from the very beginning, look at verse 6. He knew there was something deeper going on also in the church. Look at verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What God had started in this group of people. They were, he was sure that God was going to fulfill that work in them. He had changed them through Jesus Christ. But he was also changing them. Paul saw that they were not only partnerships with the gospel when it came to giving and praying, but there was something deeper inside of them that the gospel was doing inside of them. What Jesus had started, what God started in their hearts, he was also working out in their life. That's what the gospel does. It transforms us. It doesn't give us knowledge and just information and Bible facts. It's making us more like our Lord Jesus Christ. Men, you become like Jesus Christ in the way that you think, in the way that you lead, in the way that you love, in your temperament, in your character. Ladies, you take on the character and the qualities of our Lord Jesus Christ in the way that he lives his, lived his life. He is perfect and holy in every way. He's the perfect human being, the only one. So we look to him for our attitude adjustments. We look to him for how we handle adversity. We look to him at how we handle grieving, how we handle things that we don't understand in life, right? This is what the gospel's doing. It's transforming us. It's shaping us. But look at that word again, partnership, fellowship, koinonia. Think about this Greek word with me. I think we have fellowship, yes, when we get together and we have a meal and we have fun together. We go to an Astros game together. We celebrate the work that, that, that the, the, the kind of the relationships we have with each other. But this is the idea of Christian fellowship comes from this. Literally what this word means is this, sharing or holding something in common. Sharing or holding something in common. Now stay with me. You see, When the gospel's at work in your life, when the gospel's at work in our lives, we share together, we hold in common, we share something in common with each other. That's what true Christian fellowship is. It's not something we have in common, it's something we share in common. I, I think about Lydia and I think about the jailer. I would imagine that before the good news of Jesus Christ reached their ears, I doubt that Lydia and the jailer hung out. You think the wife of the jailer you know, went and did their nails with Lydia, did her nails with Lydia? Uh, do you think that the, the little slave girl that we're going to come across here in chapter one and chapter two, you know, do you think she hung out with Lydia? Hey, let's go to the market together. No, but what had happened? The gospel transformed all of them, and guess what happens now? Now they have this something that is, they have this shared common thing with each other that Jesus Christ has radically changed all of their lives. That becomes their new family. That becomes the, the priority of their lives, right? The relationships, the deep relationships that they have with each other. 
they were changed and their lives were centered on gospel ministry. When I think about Acts chapter 2 and 3,000 people that day are saved. And Peter, you know, they look at Peter and they say, what, was, what must we do to be saved? He says, well, re- we'll repent and go be baptized. And then they baptized that day over 3,000 people. You know what happens when they begin their work together? When the church is birthed, it says this, and they devoted themselves at the end of chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. There's that word again. To, uh, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. That didn't just mean meals. That meant, that meant li- they lived gospel ministry, gospel life together. They lived life together in the context of their relationship and this newfound relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of the greatest bonds that I've had with members of local churches that I've served at or that I've seen among bonds, among uh, followers of Jesus Christ come, say, on a mission trip you do life together and you do gospel ministry together. Maybe we serve in our community and we go do door-to-door evangelism together. Or we do an event together that is gospel-focused and, 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 and gospel-centered in every way. And you go to, uh, you, you serve alongside each other in gospel ministry. God begins to put as fellowship, this, this bond within one another that, that, is, that is lifelong when you give financially for someone to go on a mission trip or you give faithfully on a Sunday morning through our tithes and then through offerings and through things like that and then you see people come back and their lives are changed, that is where we enter into this fellowship together, this partnership together when it comes to gospel ministry. We pray for lost people together, and then you see someone that you've been praying for come to faith in Jesus Christ. A few years ago, we started this class on a Sunday morning at a church that I served at years and years ago. It was for women whose husbands were not Christians, and it was an adult Bible study class on a Sunday morning, and I'll never forget getting these ladies together, and their husbands would not come to church with them, and then one particular Sunday, one of the husbands of those wives came on that particular Sunday, and at the end of that service, he came down the aisle, bawling his eyes out, giving his life to Jesus Christ. I'm standing, I was one of the men standing at the front, and I'm looking around the room, and as I look around the room, I'm looking at the ladies in that class that are scattered. And they're bawling their eyes out. You know why? Because they've been praying together for these men. And they're seeing their husband in the eyes and lives of that one man coming down. There's hope. There's hope in my prayer life. There's hope when we come together. You see, that joy of that woman whose husband came to follow Jesus Christ that particular day was in the hearts and the lives of all of those women across that room. You see, that's partnership in gospel ministry. That's fellowship in gospel ministry. And that is what I believe what Paul is saying here. He's saying there is a fellowship that happens with each other in gospel ministry. What God starts, he will finish. There's also an affection. Do you notice what Paul then turns to? He turns to his own heart. You see, there is an affection for each other because of the grace of God. Verse 7 and 8, this is what Paul's going to say again. Look at it in your Bibles. It is right for me to feel this way. There's this feeling in the eyes and heart of Paul about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Look at verse 8. He's going to go on to say, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You notice what Paul's saying? There is this affection. How do you know if the gospel's at work in your heart? You start to have and develop this affection for each other. 
this affection to want to be around each other, to be in each other's lives. You genuinely care about each other. That's where Paul was. He saw the gospel had changed their life and was changing them, and he had this affection towards them, right? He said, it's right for me to feel this way. He brought thankfulness into his heart. He brought joy into his heart. God, what God started in the Philippians, he's going to continue in the Philippians. What God starts in our lives, he's going to finish in our lives. Paul saw this church from a distance. People he knew, people he didn't know. He saw a people that had been saved by God's grace just like he had. Acts chapter 9, I mean, he's walking on, the, on this road, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in his life, radically changes Saul's life, who then becomes Paul. That same grace, that same power, that same work that God did in his heart was at work in the lives of the Philippians. He saw it in the lives of the Philippians. I got to tell you this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're missing out on all of life. You don't understand what life is about. You might be struggling and you might be looking for that next paycheck. You might be living paycheck to paycheck or you might be loving life with all the money in the world and you're missing out on it. Because when you understand that God has created all of us in his image and we have this this understanding that we are all made, we have intrinsic value in the eyes of God and and, and God loves us and he loves us in in so many ways. And yet at the same time, our great dilemma, the great problem of our life is that because God is perfect in every way and we are broken and sinners, we cannot be with God. It doesn't matter how many times we come to church, how much money we give, how much Bible we read, how, much, how many people we talk to about it and tell people we're Christians, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter. What matters is in my heart, have I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ? Have I surrendered my life to his work and the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross and from the grave? Have I yielded my heart, bowed my will to the will of my heavenly father and allowed Jesus Christ and his work to save me and the spirit of God to indwell me and to begin to turn me and churn in me a desire and a love for him that is insatiable, that begins to to change the lives of people around me. Now, man, if if you haven't gotten there yet, We're going to have a time at the end of the service for you to get there, to give your life to Jesus Christ. Paul had done this. He was a recipient of the grace of God. These people that he's writing to are recipients of the grace of God, which is why in verse 7, he even mentions the word grace. I mean, there in verse 7, again, it says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because what I hold you in my heart for you are all what? Partakers. You're with me, y'all with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. He yearned for them. He longed for them because they were recipients of the grace of God just as he was. Paul goes to prison. They, in their minds and hearts, are broken and burdened by that. Paul suffers and struggles and, 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 he, and through every trial, through all of his beatings, as he, as he walks through all of these things, both victories and defeats, suffering and good days, the Philippian church will in solidarity with him. It's so different, right? When it comes to animals and people that really mean a lot to us in our life, we all have animals, most of us have animals that we love dearly. I grew up in a home where we had two small young, or small animals, dogs, that lived many, many years, like 15, 20 years. They were like family members when they died. Been there? 
And yet at the same time, they pale in comparison, don't they? To the people that we love, human beings in our life, pale in comparison to them. When I think about the followers of Jesus Christ, I ought to have that kind of love for my church family. I ought to have that kind of love for other followers of Jesus Christ. It's the evidence of God's work in your life. The gospel is at work in your life. It's the affection you have for one another, the solidarity you have for others. You don't have it. You don't have those kinds of relationships. Pray for them. You don't have those kinds of relationships. Work to develop them. In the lives of people around you, sitting around you, maybe people that aren't even quite here yet, develop them. Pray for them. Because what God wants in your life are these individuals. He wants these people in your life. Who right now is in your life that you can say, I have this affection for that person or these, this couple or these people or that group? I'm not talking about that person that, that might tempt you with a little gossip. I'm not talking about that kind of relationship. I'm not talking about that person that calls you up on the phone. Hey, did you hear? Did you hear it? And, and something negative comes. Not something positive, but something negative comes. I'm not talking about that. You don't need that. But what you and I do need in our lives is those Christ-centered relationships. People that can step into your life. People that can say, I love you, but I want to tell you the truth. People that can come over to your house and over a cup of coffee tell you you're wrong in the name of Jesus because they love you. People that you can do the same in their life as well. Cultivate it. Pray for it. Look for it. Develop it. That's what God wants in your life. You see, this is where the Philippians were. This is the relationship that Paul had with this church. This affection for them because of the grace of God. We're all struggling with certain things. We're also celebrating certain things. What has God done in your life? Can you come alongside someone and say, you know what? I've seen you change. I just want you to know, hey, God's at work in your life. Just keep going. That kind of friendship, that kind of relationship. You need a Christ-centered relationship. That's what God wants. See, God takes us as independent, prideful people, and then he joins us together and he brings us into the spiritual family where we do gospel ministry together, where we pray towards what the same things to the same God, where we begin to do this work together. This is what God does. This develops this affection for each other. God does this work. What God starts, he always finishes. Remember that. This leads to what Paul says in verse 9, because where Paul says in verse 9 is that when the gospel's at work in your life, there is going to be a love that is going to be developed when we all collectively are pursuing spiritual maturity in our life. Love is not just this emotion that we just high-five each other and hug each other. It's when we are committed to growing together. We're all in this together. When you're committed to that, what, the, what God does, the supernatural work in our lives is the Spirit of God comes into our life and He gives us this love towards each other so that Paul says to them from a distance as he's praying for them, he says, it is my prayer, in verse 9, that your love may abound more and more. This is what Paul wants. He wants this group of people who are all individual collectively coming together, some coming out of a pagan lifestyle, some coming out of a Roman lifestyle, right? They, you know, they've been following different gods. Maybe they had, had lived their entire life as a Roman soldier. I mean, they're coming out of all kinds of weird, wacky backgrounds. And Paul wants them to develop a deep love for each other. You know how that happens? When they understand that they're all growing 
together as individuals. Therefore, Paul says, look at it in your text. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, church, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. I want you to notice the progression of what Paul is praying there for this, this church. How do they get to a place of spiritual maturity in their life where they've got to be committed to it and they've got to be all in to following Jesus and growing in the Lord? And so spiritual maturity begins with knowledge, doesn't it? It's this understanding there in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, with knowledge. It begins with the truth, begins with the word of God in your life. A lot of times that we're committed to, and some of us are committed to knowledge, just knowledge for knowledge's sake. That's where it ends. And so we have, we, we attend a hundred different Bible studies that my church offers. And yet five years later, there's no difference, substantial righteous difference in my life. How does that happen? Well, it's because I haven't taken the knowledge and applied it to my life. It's because I've not taken the things that God wants me to know and understand and then begun to apply it to my life. I'm just filling my head with all kinds of incredible Bible facts about Israel and about the Holy Lands and about all of these things and about archaeology and about this and about that and about this and about that. And it's amazing. Did you know this? Did you know this? But how is it impacting my life? God's word is meant to impact my life. God's word is meant to change and transform my life, right? And so... Spiritual maturity is first and foremost anchored in knowledge. It begins with knowledge. In order for you to come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've got to know who Jesus Christ is. In order for you to understand who Jesus, or know the good news, you've got to understand why it's good news. Right? Not just that God loves you and that God cares about you. You've got to understand your own lostness. You've got to understand why you are the way you are, why you think the way you think, and then what God did in order to remedy that problem. You see, knowledge comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes by way of our understanding of what the Bible says. But check this out. Look at what it says next. Paul is praying this for the Philippian church. He says, with knowledge and then all discernment. What is discernment? It's practically taking and applying God's word to your life. That's what discernment is. I got news for you. When you open your Bibles, and if you're a newer believer and you open your Bible, the Bible's not full of rights and wrongs. It's not full of do this, do not do this. There are some of that. But the Bible is full of principles. You see, we need a whole lot of discernment in our life. Sometimes God puts you in a position where the, the, the answer to the question is not a yes or no question. It's what should you do, what's best for you to do? What should you do best in this particular situation? You know, as Christians, we're really, really good at running to what the Bible doesn't say. I can't do that, so I'm going to go do it. We're really good at that. When it comes to Christian freedom, when it comes to freedoms and liberties in our life, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't do it, so I'm going to go do it. That's not the question you should be asking. The question you should be asking that God says is, should I do this in this case? That's discernment. That's taking the Word of God and applying it to your situation. And so, what Paul is saying is that we ought to gain knowledge 
that they would gain knowledge and that would lead to discernment, which in turn would lead to what is excellent. Watch this. Look at your, look at your Bibles again in verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent. Meaning, what I call this is integrity. We ought to have integrity with our lives. We ought to live righteously righteously and think righteously with our lives. It leads to integrity. Knowledge that leads to discernment. Discernment that then leads to integrity. What is excellent? Approving what is excellent and then leads to what? Look at your Bibles in verse 10. It is filled with what? Fruit of righteousness. It leads to spiritual fruit in our life. And when we bear spiritual fruit in our life, what does it lead to? Glorifying God is ultimately that's what you and I individually are to do. We are to glorify God in all that we say and all that we do. That is what we as individuals are called to do. And the way we get to that point is it begins with the truth. It then leads to applying that truth to our life in not just yes and no situations, but in what is best they're then leading to this, this place of integrity in my life. It's leading to what is excellent in my life and approving what is excellent in my life and then leads to spiritual fruit in my life. And when I bear that spiritual fruit in my life, I'm glorifying God. Now listen, this is what discipleship looks like, by the way. This is how God takes someone who is a follower of his and helps them to grow in the faith. What God wants you to do is to grow along this trajectory of your life to become more like Jesus Christ. Paul, as he is praying for this church, as he's thinking about this church, he's praying that they would have this love for each other, that it would grow in an insatiable way, but that comes when we are committed to spiritual maturity. If you're not thinking about becoming more like Jesus Christ, then you're only going to start thinking and continue to think about yourself. Thereby, by definition, you're not going to think about others. You're not going to develop an insatiable love for others because you haven't developed that insatiable love for Jesus Christ himself. But when you have this love of Christ in your heart, you're going to want to please him. You're going to want to grow in the Lord. You're going to want to grow in him, which in turn is going to then give us a love for each other. And so you high-five and you celebrate when God, when God does something in the life of another individual, when they take a step of obedience and God is changing their life, then you come alongside them and you encourage them with a little note or with a prayer or with a text message or with a, a phone call or just a conversation in the hallway. You come up and you say, hey, listen, you, God's changed your heart. I see that in you. You used to be this way, now you're not. God's, God's doing a work in your life. I just want to encourage you. Keep going. Just keep going. And you become the greatest cheerleader of people around you as they are following Jesus Christ with their lives. Oh, the gospel didn't just get us across the finish line. That's what you thought? We're missing out. You see, what the gospel does is it not only saves us, but it is saving us, it's transforming us, it is changing us. And the way in which you understand how God is working in your life by way of the gospel is there is this fellowship that is going to develop in gospel ministry. Oh, there's going to be an affection that we're going to have towards one another because of the grace of God. And there is going to be this love, this love that is going to develop in our life if we are committed collectively to spiritual maturity in our lives. My pet peeves in my life, my wife would not believe this, but one of the pet peeves in my life is unfinished projects. What I would think is that her pet peeves unfinished projects, because there's plenty of them around my house right now. Unfinished projects. Well, I got news for you. 
that what God starts in your life, he will finish. If you can be, you can be sure the gospel is at work in your life, what he starts, he finishes. And I'm thankful for that promise. You see, the gospel is either calling you or it's driving you. It calls us to himself or it drives us to live for him. Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers. There's that word again of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplant, supplement your, your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective we're unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life, if anything, the church, if anything, is not passive. It's intentional. It's active. You have to take what God says, apply it to your life. We have to take as a church what God says and apply it to our lives. So don't live content. Pray yourself out of apathy. Pray yourself out of contentment. And let's be content in what Jesus Christ calls us to be and what he wants us to be. Don't live a content life in how you are currently living, but consistently pursue the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. Allow him to be your spiritual guide. Answer that call. Pray for it. Act upon it. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. You know, as our worship team comes forward, I just want to ask you, if you want to commit to that today, ask the Lord in your own heart, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, ask the Lord to give you this fellowship, this affection, this love, to be committed to that. Ask him right now. Talk to him just quietly to yourself. We want to be committed to that. If you're here this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, while will be here at the front. You can come and you can experience that grace, that mercy, that forgiveness for your sin, that weight that you're carrying around with you of guilt in your life. It's time to let that go. It's time to give your heart to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you want to join our church or be baptized, we're going to be baptizing very soon. If God is speaking to your heart about baptism, you need to Make that decision. Follow through with obedience. How's God speaking to you this morning? Let me pray for you. And then we're going to stand and sing. And we're going to have the courage to respond to whatever he says. Father, thank you this morning for what you're saying to us and how you're guiding and directing our steps. We want to get, pray for courage. That we would release, be released from the stronghold of, of not acting upon what you're teaching us and telling us, but instead giving ourselves to your will, to your Holy Spirit. And so we give ourselves to you this morning, and we give this time to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
why don't you stand with me and you have the courage to come this morning. Altars here open for you to come and pray. If you need prayer, I'll be here available for that as well. can be seated for just a moment. Um, listen, I want to tell you how proud I am of you. Last Sunday morning, before we leave, just a couple of quick announcements, how you ate up all those tacos from our missions offering last weekend. I went out there to get myself a taco and they were gone. So praise God for that. Y'all were hungry. I know you were. 
we're Baptists, but anyway. Hey, listen, you gave very well last Sunday to that particular offering and put us down the road uh, towards our goal of about $9,000. So we're giving to the state of Texas to a particular missions offering this week, but also over the next several weeks. And so let's continue to give faithfully over and above our tithing towards that. And uh, so I'm so proud of you for that. But also, we want to have an opportunity before we leave today, not only to give offerings, but to continue to tithe to our church. And um, if you were here a week ago, I kind of shared with you a little bit from my heart, and uh, God's been speaking to many of you this week about some of those things. But listen, if you haven't been, or maybe you haven't, um, or a little bit behind in your tithing, let's get caught up on that, and let's, uh, let's give faithfully to the Lord's work here locally so that we can do the Lord's work here in our ministries week in and week out, but also do things that we have budgeted for and planned for. And we're a little behind on that, so let's get, be, be giving faithfully to our, our regular general offering, and then also to our, um, our general account, and then offerings above and beyond that, like this missions offering and other things that we want to do here locally and also around the world. I think one of the things that encouraged me the most, I'm sitting in a room on Thursday afternoon with our kids, over 140 people in that room, and a, a room full of people, hundreds of people in this room, and watching couples and individuals and families go across that stage and share where they're going, some of which had names, including our two kids, that they didn't share their full name, they just shared uh, an alias because, of, because they're going to a closed country. Um, and, uh, uh, but, but watching all of that happen and sitting in that room, I just dawned on me, this does not happen apart from our faithful giving. Everything that was happening in that room is funded through the thousands of collective churches that give faithfully through their budgets, like we do, but also that Lottie Moon Christmas offering that we talk about at the end of the year, was 60%, I think it is, of our mission agency's um, uh, budget comes from that one offering collectively across. And to see just under 4,000 people serving across the world right now actively in very closed countries and countries that when you watch the news sometimes and you think there's no way there's Americans in that country, in some places there are, and you've put them there. And just encouraged my heart. And it also just motivated me personally and us, the two of us as we sat in that room, watching these families come out of local churches, talk about where they're going and what they're going to be doing. It gave me a reason to give. It gave me a reason to pray. It also gave me a reason to go. And I want to take that back to us as we sit here this morning. So let's be faithful to give, okay? A couple other quick things I want to mention to you. One, if you're not connected through our newsletter that goes out weekly, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, you can take one of those little cards and the seat backs in front of you, write your email address down and drop it in one of the boxes as you leave today. We want to get that out to you. I write a little devotional in there, but we have important announcements that are coming week to week. So we want you to be communicated with and stay connected with our church. And that's one of the ways we do that. And then finally, I'm just going to mention something that you may notice out here on the road right here. Okay, we've got changes that are coming. If you've noticed at the end of this road right here, we have stop signs now that are there. Cities put those up. The reason they put those up is because we have encouraged behind the scenes, uh, we want to keep our campus safe. We have a lot of folks walking across here on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights. We have children and students and so forth. So there are stop signs going up that have gone up down here. There are actually stop signs that are going to go up down here at the children's building. And then along the way, over time, we've got some speed bumps that are going to go in. I know nobody likes speed, speed bumps. But I'll tell you what you don't like as well, a car that drives 50 miles an hour right down through here when kids and senior adults are walking across, right? We don't want that either, which happens often here. 
And so we want to do something to try to protect our campus, and these are some of the things and measures we're working with the city to uh, help facilitate, and they've been, they've been a great partner with us. So um, just want to mention that, and so let's, let's try to remember that down there and, and uh, uh, stop and, and slow down and so forth as we're thinking about uh, the space through here, okay? That is it. So let's all stand. Let's have a quick word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for the time we've had in your word this morning. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the prayer time. Thank you for the giving that we have, the privilege of giving to you now. We thank you for the gifts already that have been given to this missions offering and will continue. We also thank you for the privilege of tithing. For Lord, you train our hearts not to depend upon our resources, but to depend upon you. For Lord, you're the one who gives it all to us. It is all grace. And we want to, Lord, live in light of that. And so God, you're our provider. So Lord, continue to provide for our needs in every way. Would you find us faithful? Would you find us, Lord, giving our tithes and our offerings, Lord, in a way that honor you? So we give these tithes and offerings to you as we leave today, that as we give them, that we would give them as an act of worship because we love you so much. We love you, Father. We pray your blessing on the rest of our day. Lead us people, lead us to people who need Jesus Christ this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.
His name is above, His name is above depression. His name is above loneliness. Oh, His name is above disease. His name is above cancer. His name is above every other Jesus. 